The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. On June 25th, 1975, a 15-year-old girl accompanies her sister to the Thunderbird Drive-In in Northwest Harris County, Texas. At some point, she exits the car to go to the concession stand and she disappears without a trace. Five months later, her body is found, but she's not the only one to ever go missing from that area. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Patricia K. Humphreys. Stoppers doubled the reward to find whoever brutally murdered a teenager just hanging out at the movies 45 years ago. 15-year-old Patricia K. Humphreys disappeared from what was a popular drive-in back in the 70s. Her body was found a few months later after she vanished from an outdoor theater on Clay and Campbell in Northwest Houston. ABC 13 reporter Courtney Fisher spends every day talking with families of cold case victims. She's been working this case for months and has archive video some of which has not been seen in decades. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Well, Coach, uh, I don't know when y'all kick it off, but we kicked off the old milestone testing this week. Oh, bro, we don't do milestone testing in pre-K. Yeah, well, I just meant as like a, a school system. You know how people get, like, you couldn't get a grease BB in some of those administrators' rear ends during milestone testings. Oh, no, they did a practice run in my county this week, and not one person in the entire county could log in. Not one. It's going to go It's gonna go swimmingly. Well, so ours is a virtual school that I teach at, so we're up across the state. And so uh, the first day, you know, all the gremlins come out. There is a hotel that they are testing at somewhere in Atlanta and whatever conference room they have set up to test in, there is a hotel room directly above it. And they said right after lunch, when the first test was given 15 minutes into the first test, someone in one of those two or three hotel rooms directly above the conference room hot boxed the shit out of it and they had to evacuate the conference room. No way. Swear to God. I swear to God. Nice. <laughs> Hell yes. And we were oh, all, that's... so she was messaging us and she's like, I'm freaking out. And I'm like, go back in the room, take a deep breath. You'll feel a yeah. lot better Just and you'll, you, you'll feel so much more relaxed. You may have to stop at McDonald's or maybe Taco Bell on the way home, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, man, it's been a, it's been a joy this week. So, but I'm lucky I've been able to test close to within 30 minutes of my house and it's long enough that you, you know, kind of get out of the house. And then, um, there's some great restaurants down there. It's the same town you, practice your jujitsu in so i look forward to lunch every day we get like an hour and a half for lunch so man, oh, it's, hell yeah. it's been great That's it could bad. be worse I've, I've done worse you know we i don't know if you were there or if you'd already left or maybe it was before you um we tried to start the milestones one year and a tornado come through knocked the power out i was there that was that was my year yeah because it touched down like in the backyard of oh, my this. house and my wife was there and like the principal came up to me and was like, call your wife now. And I called her and I said, what's going on? And she went, because like, the tornado had already like ripped through the fucking parking lot of the food line at our near our house and like threw cars like 50 feet in the air. Yeah, and we had the uh, social studies. She pulled a full-size mattress from our bedroom into our half bath 
and was like hiding underneath it. Dang. Well, it was, it was scary, man. That's the same group of storms that's touched down and absolutely wrecked the social studies department heads. Um, house. Yeah, yeah, it sure did. And then it went on up north of y'all and run up. Ringgold. Yeah, run up the mountain at Ringgold, and I had never heard of that. It destroyed Ringgold High School. Like, yeah. destroyed it. Yeah. So, fun times, man. Fun times. And then they're like, okay, let's get back to testing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, we've got a shout out. Uh, Mr. Paul Allen Fiscus Third has stepped up. You know, this is what I love about our fans. We have a need. They find a way to fill it. He is stepped up and started converting our MP3s to MP4s. And for you non-technophiles out there, basically he is allowing us to take the audio from our episodes and upload those directly to YouTube. So now our episodes will start appearing on our YouTube channel. So, and then eventually our videos of the episodes will appear on YouTube. Um, and that's something that we're trying to get off the ground. But he has a band that he's in, and we graciously accepted the shameless plug he asked for. And his band's name is Old Coffins. And so we've got a list of songs. So, Get ready to hear some old coffins coming up in the intro music <laughs> because we're not proud. You do us a favor. We'll scratch your back too. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Ain't so no pride. Ain't no shame in this game. That's right, baby. So let's get into this. Hold on now. Hold on now. Oh, I'm third. third. Do you have something else? Oh, right, we got a five star review, my friend. Oh, another one. I can't remember if we, if I, I don't think we talked about it yet. If we did, we're going to do it again. Fuck it. It says five star review, Caleb Covington. If you remember that name, I, I don't, I can't remember. I've drank a lot. I'm sorry. He says, y'all are awesome. Just a fellow North Georgia boy dropping by to give y'all a good review. Definitely appreciate the amazing content that y'all put out every week. Sure does bring me some pleasure hearing some familiar accents while I'm currently residing north of the Mason Dixon. Yeah, I think we. How the hell would you want to do that? Well, it's it's difficult, but some people have to scratch that itch. Uh, I, I mean, it's good for a vacation. <laughs> but come on, as a great man once said, "There's nothing in the world I would I I want to do that I can't do in Lower Alabama." <laughs> that is true. He does <laughs> he does venture out of Lower Alabama into the. Mushers into the Louisiana Delta to catch them road trap. <laughs> so I talked about him to, was it today? No, I talked about him yesterday. And so we're recording on a Friday night. So I talked about him on Thursday morning. And then I talked to him with my new principal on Wednesday. And I gave her the most G rated sayings that he ever had. And she was crying, laughing. And I was like, look, I've got a list of about 45 other ones that are not safe for work. I said, so if we uh, see each other at uh, professional development right before school, I said, I will have them printed out for you. <laughs> I said, because there's some doozies in there. But anyway, all right. So now let's get into it. This has been a user request that's been on the board. And then we had some things come up and it got pushed back and got pushed back and got pushed back. So anyway, the case we're talking about tonight is Patricia K. Humphreys. Now, Patricia K. Humphreys was the youngest of two daughters born on September 25th, 1959 to mom, Patricia, and father, Johnny Humphreys. Known to her friends as Kay, she was just a year younger than her sister, Deborah. Both girls attended Northbrook High and Deborah had just finished her 10th grade year while Kay had just finished her 9th grade year. Now, Kay loved to hang out with her friends and write poetry. She was your typical 15-year-old girl growing up in the Harris County suburbs of Houston, Texas. She stood 5 foot 5 inches tall with brown hair that fell just below her shoulders. The blue-eyed teen begrudgingly wore glasses after losing her first pair of contacts 
Always sweet-natured, she seemed to be coming into her teenage years, developing an identity of her own, recently asking kids at her school to begin calling her Pat, even though her family members and close friends already called her Kay. Now, since her mother's name is Patricia and her name is Patricia, we will refer to her as Kay and the mom as Patricia. Now, her sister had learned from a friend that Kay had even gone on a group date or two. So, mom, Patricia, and dad, Johnny, had divorced early in their marriage, and Johnny was living in California while Patricia stayed in the Houston area with the two girls. On June 25th, 1975, Deborah and Kay were given permission to take their mom's white Mercury Montego to the Thunderbird Drive-In. And our old... Minute. We've heard a month of... That's what I was about to say. <laughs> our old OG We've... listeners will know this is not the first time a Mercury, Mercury Montego... Montego involved in another mystery. That's right. The Yuba County Five. So... Still, the... though, one of the greatest mysteries of all time. Yes. Hands down. Uh, like, if you don't know... If you haven't heard our episode on the Yuba County Five or you don't know that what that's about, stop what you're doing and fucking look that shit up because it's one of the greatest mysteries of all time. It really is. That's why we chose it for the first episode. So the girls had been given permission to take mom's car to the local drive-in, the Thunderbird drive-in, which was just a mile or just over a mile from their um, home. The girls were planning on watching a double feature starring Dustin Hoffman in Lenny and Midnight Cowboy. Okay, first of all, hold on one second. They're 15 and 16. Correct. Midnight Cowboy was rated X. And I, it's, the only, it's the only movie rated X to win Best Picture. But it's still rated X. What the fuck, man? <laughs> well, you have to keep in mind also... In 1975, you could buy beer at 18 and still drink and drive, and there was not a problem with it. Have you ever seen that video in Louisiana? Like it's old timey news, like newscast where they're they're interviewing people about implementing the no drinking and driving law. No, I haven't. Oh my God, they're like. Man, I tell you what, man, they're just trying to government tyranny, man. They're just trying to keep you from living your life. I can't believe it. <laughs> How you gonna tell me I can't have a few beers? I get I work twelve hours a day, and I I'm tired when I get off work. You gonna tell me that I can't have a few beers on the way home? That's fucking bullshit. <laughs> well, I have to agree with them because there's nothing more refreshing on a long drive home than a nice ice cold beverage. Well, I know in Kentucky, as long as you're not over the limit, you can drink while you drive. But if they pull you over and, like, let's say you blow a .07 with an open container, you're good to go. In Tennessee, your passengers can drink all they fucking want. Your your passengers can be 12 beers deep and drinking the 13th, and the cops (laughs) can't do shit because they're not driving. I know that for a fact. But the great state of Georgia. Great state of Georgia got open container law. You can't do that shit. That's right. So mom had given the girls their marching orders of, quote, going straight to the drive-in and straight home. Don't you pick up anyone either, end quote. But like most teenagers, whether it's 1975 or 2023, out of sight of their parents, they going to do what they want to do. And in a Houston Chronicle article dated September the 1st of 2012, Deborah recalls that her mom didn't want any friends accompanying the two girls to the theater. Quote, well, of course, we right away jumped around the neighborhood to find as many friends as we could find, end quote. After leaving their house, the girls headed to Deborah's boyfriend's house, Eddie Garcia. Then they went by Mike Hunter's house and picked him up. A friend of Kay's, Rhonda Pizzatola, remembers who all was in the car that night because after picking up Mike, they went to Rhonda's house to see if she wanted to go. And she was like, heck yeah, I want to go. So she goes inside and asks mom and mom's like, no, you are not going anywhere with those two boys. 
He said, hell to the now. That's right. She to did. Now, now. She clearly remembers, this is Rhonda, that when they pulled into her driveway that Eddie was driving the Mercury. And Deborah was sitting in the front passenger seat. Kay and Mike were in the back seat. And according to Rhonda, there was another girl in the back seat with Kay and Mike, but she cannot remember who the girl was. At some time during the intermission between the two movies, the group headed to the concession stand to buy some sna- snacks and cigarettes. According to Deborah, either Kay smoked a particular brand of cigarettes or somebody wanted a particular brand of cigarettes. It depends on what article and what little video you watch. For the sake of an argument, let's just say that somebody wanted some cigarettes and when they went to the concession stand, that brand of cigarettes was not there. So Kay volunteers to walk to the convenience store, a 7-Eleven, to buy the brand in question. Now, the 7-Eleven, if you're leaving the Thunderbird Drive-In, was about three-quarters of a mile down Clay Road to the right. But there was another convenience store that was closer to the Thunderbird, and it was to the left if you were leaving the drive-in, and it was called the Clay Fina Service Station. Now, it was less than a half a mile from the drive-in, and between the two service stations, the Clay Fina Service Station was better lit at night. Now, no one knows which one Kay walked to because when she left the drive-in that night, it would be the last time anyone would see her. Somewhere between leaving her mom's Mercury and the convenience store, Kay disappeared without a trace. Sometime during the second movie, when Kay had not returned, Deborah began to worry but thought that Kay may have seen some other friends or decided, to hell with it, I'm just going to walk home. Now, remember, the Thunderbird was only a little over a mile from their home. So when Deborah got home and Kay was not there, that's when the panic set in. She had to go in and tell her mom that Kay never returned from the convenience store and she thought she had walked home. Pat freaks out and her and Deborah began calling Kay's and Deborah's friends asking if anyone had seen Kay. No one had. Deborah said it was some time, maybe more than an hour, before the group had noticed that Kay had not returned. They began searching the drive-in, but no one around them had seen Kay. That seems weird. I mean, how do you, for an hour, you don't notice that someone's, someone's not there? Here's the way, I'm with you. That's the way I first took it when I was researching it. But if if Rhonda is to be believed that there was a third girl in the back seat Maybe Kay felt like she was the fifth wheel. So Deborah had her boyfriend. Then you have another girl and Mike in the back seat. And so maybe this was just a makeout session and Kay was like, to hell with it. I'll go buy me some cigarettes to get away from y'all. That would kind of explain how the hour ticked away and they didn't technically pay any attention. That's the only thing that I can come up and come up with. And that's my theory, pure speculation, but that's the only thing that I could come up with that would even remotely explain why an hour would have passed. Now, in hindsight, Deborah recalled the lessons from her youth about not going anywhere alone and always traveling in pairs. Quote, and I didn't go with her. For some reason, I just did not go with her. And I didn't worry until she'd been gone for a while. She has since learned to cope with her feelings of guilt. Quote, it's just hard. I was her older sister. The next morning, missing flyers began being plastered everywhere around the girls' homes, around Houston, the Thunderbird Drive-In, and Pat had to phone the girl's father, Johnny, to tell him that his youngest daughter was missing. Johnny was on the first flight to Houston and headed straight to the police station. Now, days would turn into weeks, and there were no leads. No one had remembered seeing Kay at the 7-Eleven, no one had remembered seeing Kay at the Clay Fina service station. Authorities interview Pat and find some of Kay's poetry. It is quickly realized that Kay was not the type to run away, and investigators began treating the case as an abduction. 
there was a shoe found alongside Clay Road within, I think it was within the first two weeks of the investigation, but investigators would come to the conclusion that that shoe was not related to the case. Now, police interviewed everyone they could think of, and still there was no leads. About three or four weeks would pass, and Johnny had to board a plane and head back to his job in California. He described boarding the plane not knowing where Kay was as the hardest and the numbest he's ever been. Now, Kay's mom, Pat, however, was feeling something different. Five weeks after Kay went missing, Pat got remarried to her high school sweetheart, Thomas Randy Scarber. The two had gone to high school together in Henrietta, Texas. Now, Pat and Randy decided that once they were married, they were going to move to Stratton, Nebraska, and they were taking Deborah with them. Questions began circulating about how a mother could leave a town in which her daughter had disappeared. The summer came to an end, and school began again in the Houston area, but there was still no sign of Kay. Fall rocked on, and with no movement in the case and Thanksgiving break coming up, there was still no sign of Kay. There was no leads on where she could have been or where she was. Then, on November the 26th, 1975, a group of boys were shooting their BB guns in a field behind a church off Hopper Road about 18 miles from the Thunderbird Drive-In. There they find some human remains. So, authorities are called, and along with several bones, Kay's clothing from the night in question, is found along with a brass ring with the initial P on it. Now, detectives would eventually come out and state that they felt like she was strangled to death. In an article dated Sunday, December the 9th, 1975, in the Baytown Sun, the pathologist that performed the autopsy stated, quote, a key bone in the neck was absent from the body recovery site. This bone would have determined whether Kay had been strangled. No bullets were found in the bones, and there were no fractures, but we don't have all of the bones. I have asked authorities to continue searching the area, end quote. Now, police positively identified Kay through a scar on her skull from a surgery she had undergone as an infant. Now, Detective Peters with the Houston Police Department believes that she was not alive very long after she went missing. For more than 45 years, Kay's father, Johnny Humphreys, has struggled not knowing what happened to his daughter. Quote, I just think about in her last hours, she must have wondered where somebody was to protect her. Of course, that's supposed to be dad. That's what I think about. End quote. Now, Kay's sister, Deborah, and her mother have since passed away, along with both Mike and Eddie, who were with Kay the night she disappeared. Jeez, that's sad. Yeah. I think... <laughs> No Deb- answers. Just, ugh. I think Deborah passed away from cancer early. I think mom, I think mom lived into her early 90s. There was not much information about Eddie and Mike, however. Yeah. But when you couple all the people that seen her that night in the Montego having passed away with the fact that people's memories are fading, kind of like Rhonda can't remember who the third girl in the back was. This is what's keeping the case from being solved, according to authorities. So if you remember any details about the case, you're from Houston, you were at the Thunderbird that night on June 25th, 1975, police want to talk to you. It may be the most trivial thing in your mind, but it could be the key thing that leads them to a break in this case. If you would like to remain anonymous, please call the local Crime Stoppers at 713 713- Two two two, T-I-P-S. Now, there's not a lot out there about Kay's story. Authorities have done, I guess they've assigned a new detective, and they still have the old case file. And they have the old news articles out there, or news articles, news footage of when she disappeared and how it was all over the news. 
So they've been going back over that, but they do need the public's help. Hey guys, Arlo here. And if you are struggling with the old caffeine in the morning, I have got the fix for you. It is called Magic Mind. And it is just a little two ounce shot that you drink with your coffee or your energy drinks in the morning. It is chocked full of greatness and it will get you focused. And it really actually has the L-theanine and that lowers your cortisol hormone, which helps absorb that caffeine that you're intaking. Now, Magic Mind has nootropics, adaptogens, matcha green tea, and 12 magical ingredients. That matcha boosts your energy. The adaptogens help with relaxation, and the nootropics keep you focused. A bonus is that it has vitamins C and D along with the echinacea to help your immunity. So head over to magicmind.co backslash brews and enter the promo code BREWS20. That is Brews20, B-R-E-W-S-2-0, and that will give you a 20% off coupon for either a one-time purchase or subscription to a monthly dose of Magic Mind. What is odd is this is not the only missing person's unsolved murder from around Houston. There was another young lady named Michelle Prashek, and she was born on April 13th, 1985 to mom, Beth and father, Richard Prashek. Now, Michelle had blonde hair and blue eyes. And just like in Kay's case, Beth and Richard would divorce when Michelle was young. And according to mom in an interview, I believe she stated that Michelle was eight when her and her husband split and Richard moved away from for work. Now, Michelle was attending Knox Junior High School, which is located on the northern edge of Houston. On December 19th, 1997, Michelle's mom, Beth, leaves her home to take Michelle's younger sister to daycare. Beth felt like this was going to be just a normal school day where Michelle, now 12, would catch the bus as usual. Beth does recall that Michelle was, quote, put off with her because she had not allowed her to go shopping the day before. Now, Michelle had also asked to spend the night at a friend's house that morning, but Beth said she didn't give her an answer. When Michelle didn't come home from school, Beth said she assumed that Michelle had walked to her that friend's house to spend the night so she calls the friend's house and to her surprise the friend and the friend's mother have not seen michelle all day so she contacts the montgomery county sheriff's office the first thing the next morning to report michelle missing now early in this investigation detectives discover that michelle's sleeping bag some of her clothes and her orange six-month-old tabby cat named Froggy was missing. So this had the telltale signs of a runaway case. So detectives began interviewing Michelle's classmates at Knox Junior High and discovered that Michelle had been on campus the day in question and had told several of her friends that she was considering running away. Now, despite her classmates and her friends telling authorities that she was at school, the attendance records for that December the 19th tell another story. They have Michelle marked absent the entire day. So there's a whole realm of oddities there. Were the friends and classmates just misremembering that this was a different day that she had talked about? Or was she actually on campus that day and then decided, you know what, I'm just going to leave school. Now, Beth did what any mother would do and worked diligently putting up missing flyers and doing interviews for the local newspaper and the news networks around Houston. Beth admits that Michelle was in counseling due to her parents' recent divorce. What she doesn't say is that it was not only about the divorce, it was also about the fact that Beth had a new boyfriend and allowed him to move in with Michelle and her younger sister in the house. 
Despite all of that, Michelle had never verbalized in counseling that she was considering running away. Now, investigators hope that Michelle is still alive, but since the case is more than 25 years old, they are treating it as a recovery, and they are in the process of looking for evidence of such at this time. Yeah, but of all the cases we've covered about missing persons, this seems to be more of an actual factual runaway than anything we've ever covered. Yeah, and that's what I I tried to say. With her age... And it being 97. Yeah, you would think that she would have come back. Right. She would have figured out real quick. (laughs) Yeah, she would have figured out real fucking quick that she was in over her head, couldn't make it on her own, and, like, come crawling back to mommy. Right. But that didn't happen. So it leads me to believe that maybe she truly ran away but ran into foul play. Like, somebody decided that they were going to help her. Yeah. Quote. Yeah. Air quotes. Help her. I'm here to help you, you know, just follow me, get in Mm -hmm. the van with no, with no windows and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I agree with you. And that's scary. I was so scary. It terrifies me, man. Now one name that your son's not going to run away. Well, if he does run away, if he did, they would return him within, I'd say an hour. hour. Yeah. (laughs) He would be with one a, of those that would like talk his kidnappers ears off with like an apology letter. Like y'all keep him. <laughs> yeah. Not, not an apology for kidnapping him, but apology for like, bro. Sorry. Here's some money. We're sorry. You've had to deal with him. <laughs> We're sorry. You had to deal with him for this long. Man. You're stronger than we ever could be. <laughs> God, I hope he listens to this episode. <laughs> Hey, man, if you don't listen to any more, fast forward to this minute and just listen for like two minutes. Yeah, and like, Coach really expressed how much he missed you. Yeah, exactly right. (laughs) Uh, So in Michelle's case, one name that kept popping up when detectives were doing their investigation was that of a man that was, guess what, Beth's boyfriend who had moved in. And his name was Mark Seguin. Newspaper stories at the time reported that Seguin had failed a polygraph test. They also report that they attempted to give Beth a polygraph test, which she refused to take. No judgment here. We 100% stand behind our do not take it under any circumstances. There's no fucking way. There's no fucking way you're hooking me up to a polygraph. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Her, I don't care if you accuse me of a crime happening in Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii. I'm probably never going to go to Hawaii. But if you're like, hey, we suspect you for uh, this crime in Hawaii, we need to take a polygraph. Nope. Ain't happening, Captain. Ain't happening. What if it said, well, I don't fuck, no fucking way. No. I done seen too many crime dramas where y'all try yeah. to use that against me. Yeah, I've watched Law and Order. Ain't fucking happening. That's right. <laughs> But here's what's funny. They, the news article that I was looking at, like throw shade at Mark and then like one sentence, oh, mom didn't take it. Mom refused to take it. And then they throw in that dad, I guess, had come back and he was like, hell yeah, I'll take one. Hell, I ain't been here. And he passed his. (laughs) So there you go. But anyway. Now, while Seguin supposedly, allegedly showed signs of deceit on several questions, one of which was, I believe the way it was worded when I read the article, would her body be found in an area that you are familiar with? And I'm like, what a loaded question. But anyway, um, so. They, despite this, they don't have any physical evidence tying him to anything in Michelle's disappearance. So he was not arrested. But he's not quite as innocent as that may give. See, what had happened was about eight years later, he gets arrested in West Texas and convicted 
in 2005 for indecency with a child and given 10 years probation and is now a registered sex offender in Jeff Davis County. He done showed his pee-pee to a little one. Oh. Yeah. Well, he needs to be under the jail. Yes. Now, Montgomery County Sheriff's Detective Thomas Duroy, who is investigating Michelle's case, currently said there have never been any solid suspects. However, again, the mom's living boyfriend has always been the key person of interest in the case. When asked if the disappearance could have been staged, the detective stated, quote, we are not ruling out any possible thing at this time, end quote. Now, DeRoy goes on to say, quote, not a week goes by that I don't think about Michelle. It's still hard to believe that girl that age could just disappear off the face of the earth and all these years still not have any leads, end quote. Now, according to Beth, Sagan left the house before she took Michelle's little sister to daycare and before Michelle were, was supposed to get on the bus to go to school. The neighbors state that that's not necessarily true, that he did leave, but after, as soon as, I wouldn't say as soon, they said within 15 minutes of mom leaving, headed to daycare, Mark's back at the house, and they don't know if Michelle had already caught the bus or not. Now, Channel 11 News, KHOU in Houston, contacted us again and stated that he understands why he is a person of interest, but stated that he had helped look for Michelle in the days and weeks following her disappearance, and that proves that he's not involved in the case. And I'm thinking, dude, you are not doing yourself any favor saying that no not at all he did tell the news channel 11 that he hopes that michelle will be found alive and her mom is still holding out uh, hope that she is alive she would be roughly 38 years old and there is an age progression photo of what michelle would look like now on the charlie project and we'll post that to our social medias but anyone with information about the disappearance of michelle preshek can call montgomery county crime stoppers at 800-392-STOP the texas department of public safety's missing person clearing house at 800-342-3243 or the Laura Recovery Center at 866-898-5723. Now, there's a lot of information out there, if you research this, about the Laura Recovery Center, and they are doing a lot of work with missing children from the Houston area. And there's some shade thrown on Michelle's mom, Beth, about her not helping the Laura Recovery Project. The way they're kind of... There is, and it's it's kind of backhanded, and they're like, she's never come and helped, and she's never put out, she's never helped other families or something like that. But in the news, here's the, well, here's the thing. I'm sorry, but I am sorry that other people are missing. But if my daughter was the one was one of those missing, I'm not going to concern myself with other missing people. I'm sorry. Well, and that's the way I took it also. But Beth, I will say this. Beth did address that in one of the news interviews she did. She stated that it's just too hard for her. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. She just can't put herself on that emotional roller coaster. And she went on to no, state. That's, that, one, that's, that's 100% valid. Yeah, and, and she said that she trusts uh, Detective Duroy that they have a great relationship and that no, he does not tell her everything that comes across his desk because he doesn't want to put her on an emotional roller coaster. And she has such faith in the Houston detectives that she's not hired a private detective because she doesn't, she didn't want there to be animosity between her and the police station because she knows that sometimes hiring a private detective causes that she wanted to keep those lines of communication open. 
So I understand why she's not there. And I thought it was a little cheeky for the recovery center to have that backhanded comment in the papers. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's bullshit to me, honestly. Like, well, yeah, your daughter's missing, but what have you done for the other people? Like, well, and it's, to, it, we've talked about it before. It's, it's kind of like the grief thing. No one knows how you're going to react in a situation. Yeah, exactly. like that. You can't, you can't say you can't watch a press conference about, a father talking about their daughter missing and go, well, look at him. He's cold and callous. You don't know how someone's going to handle grief. You just, you don't, you can't predict that. No. And and I think, I think Beth still does enough to keep Michelle's name out there. She's constantly contacting the papers on anniversaries of the disappearance on Michelle's birthdays. She's making sure those age progression pictures are updated She's keeping um, like the Charlie project. I don't know if a lot of people go on there, but if people do not keep up with that, that will be a dead link. So she's making sure that that is still a valid point of reference in case someone happens upon something at a later date. Now, when she disappeared, Michelle was wearing a tan T-shirt with the Calvin Klein logo CK imprinted on the front, jeans, and Nike tennis shoes. She had a scar or birthmark on the palm of one of her hands. So, again, if you have any information, you can contact the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office at 936-760-5800, or you can contact the local field office of the FBI at 202-324-3000. These are two very heartbreaking cases and when researching patricia humphrey's case there's just not a lot of information out there i think a because there's been so much time pass since she disappeared and her body was recovered and the thunderbird is has basically been destroyed and industry has taken over that whole area so nothing looks the same um i do find it odd that the mom would get married and move off and the way it was portrayed in i think it's news channel 13 out there they do a little 25 minute video called unsolved 13 unsolved and um the way it was portrayed in that was she had basically decided that she was taking deborah the older sister and moving away before they even knew that Kay was dead, that she was still just missing. And so everybody's like, why would you move not knowing what's going on so soon? What if she escapes and she tries to come back home and now there's strangers living there? And again, I don't want to throw shade on the family, but I do find it odd. I do find that whole situation odd. And Unfortunately, like I had said earlier, people in that case, basically everyone that night has passed away. The mom, the sister, and the two boys that were in the car. So Houston is not a very, I'll say this, when I was looking, we wanted to pair Patricia's case with another case. And when I was looking, I wanted to choose another case that didn't have a lot of press about it but like there is a website it's part of the houston chronicle it's called chon.com um i'll try to put a link up with the there's like 53 people that have mysteriously passed away or are still missing in the houston area since 1965 And it runs the gamut from an elderly couple in 1965 that was found killed in their home all the way up to, I want to say the last one they showed was like 2020. A man had just didn't come into work and like basically vanished off the face of the earth. So there's some weird shit going on in Houston. Like we said We don't get a lot of Texas cases, but this one was a user request, so we may be going back to the great state of Texas again, ladies and gentlemen. So, Coach, do you have any closing thoughts? I know we kind of 
already gave our well hypotheses. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, like, the things she took with her really, truly looked like she ran away. But how could she survive for so long? She left at such a young age. Yeah, 12. I mean, it's not. How do you make it in this world at 12? And she had like a six-month kitten with her. That's what that yeah. that, that kind of shows you the innocence that you're dealing with there. Oh, I'm just gonna run away. I got my sleeping bag. I got some clothes, and I'm gonna bring my cat. Yeah, I'm mad at my mom, so I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna run away. But like you said, I feel like that's a great theory that you had about she probably got there and was like, "Oh shit, this is not what I expected." And then as she's either a trying to make her way back to her mom's house or make her way to a friend's house someone comes in contact with her under the guise of, Hey, you need a lift. I can help you. And no one knows what has happened now. Yeah. But yeah, man, it's, it's just heartbreaking. But, uh, we had some Mandela effect, um, traction. There was, one of my students said that he swears he's on, he's in your camp, fruit of the loom. Um, dude, seriously, that was 100%. You'll never convince me otherwise. And I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to explain how you, you're going to tell me that it was never there. I fucking know it was there. I'm trying to think there was another, there was a couple of people that had tagged me and stuff and I didn't want to forget it. And of course with my lovely day and everything like that, I have, um, I had a couple of people talk about the Shazam Kazam thing. And then, uh, I don't believe, and there was somebody had contacted us and gave us a great fucking like, this is what I remember. And I know for a fact this shit's real. And I was like, man, I'm going to put that out there. And I fucking can't now. And it's killing me. Oh, you bastard. I know. I'm a piece of shit. But anyway, if I find it, hell, I'll let you know. I don't think it was in. Uh, don't look. It was like now. Maybe. Well, let me know. You got to let the fucking people know, man. I need to put that meme out there about uh, Colonel Jessup. Cause I sent it to like thirteen people, and you're like one of two that got it. Colonel Jessup, that picture of um, oh hell, good lord, man, Jack Nicholson, where he's on the balcony, and it says Colonel Nathan R. Jessup spotted on break at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, serving thirty five year sentence for the murder of Private William Santiago at Git- Git- Gitmo in Cuba in nineteen ninety two, and he looks like hammered ass. I never, I did not get that. But you laugh. I saw the picture and it was like Jack Nicholson spotted for the first time in two years. So anyway, the people that didn't get that that was from a few good men, they were like, man, that's not Colonel Jessup. That's Jack Nicholson. And I, I replied to every one of them. You can't handle the truth. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I guess my great solid lead for the, Tying in, there was we did have some feedback, so hell, I guess y'all just have to take my word for it. I'm not looking any further. So, do you have a recommendation, sir? Um, uh, yeah, uh, the the on Vice Channel, there's a new show called Resolved, and it's going over um famous cases like Bob Saget was the first episode, and they're going to cover like Brittany Murphy, Heath Ledger. And a few other things to try to question the, the official, official narrative on how they died. And a good friend of the show, Jennifer Buchholz, is actually a talking head on that show. I was watching it last night. You know that Leonardo DiCaprio, like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. You know, you see this is where I'm at. Like, I see it. Like, I, I know that person. <laughs> yeah. I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah. So. When we interviewed her and she was very secretive about the show she might have she was gonna be on, I think that might be the one she that was talking about. That might have been it. That might yeah, when she was like, Hey, there's yeah, a show coming. 
there's a show coming, but I can't really talk about it. And if y'all want me to talk about what you want me to talk about, we got to do it today. And I remember that day was like, I had my son sitting in my seat with the camera hitting the top of his head during a faculty meeting. So we could interview her. <laughs> yeah. He was like, if you, if you guys want to interview me, we have to do it today because tomorrow I'm fucking unavailable. Yeah. I'm going, I'm, I'm going, sure, it's going to be a gag order. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that's the show that she was talking about. And yeah. It was a good one. The The first episode premiered last night uh, on Bob Saget, and I watched it. It was very good, and she was very good on it. So She does a phenomenal job, man. She is a top-notch, and she's very down-to-earth, too. Like, we could, either one of us could pick up the phone right now and call her, and she would, like, she would take our call. If she couldn't take our call, she would definitely call us back within 24 hours. She has been. a text and be like, hey. What the fuck do you loser ass yeah. want? What do you two drunks want? No, but uh, <laughs> her and her husband have been eyeballs deep in the case file for Rebecca Gould, and they have been going over some, just makes you even sicker, the stuff that they're uncovering that was in the case file, that if the original investigator had half a brain, this Rebecca's case would have been solved within a couple of years. But anyway... Yeah. If you're not following, my recommendation is kind of piggybacking off coaches there. If you're not following the Unsolved Murder of Rebecca Gould Facebook page, please get on there. They, like he said, Jennifer is top notch. She is going through audio interviews. She's going through the case file backwards and forwards, putting it into a timeline. So there's always daily she's posting things about that that'll just make your blood boil. But yeah, that. Great, great lady out there. Um, I know she's got a lot of irons in the fire. So, um, but she's always, like I said, we could, we could call her tomorrow and be like, Hey, you want to talk? And she'd be like, Yeah, yeah. What do y'all want to talk about? <laughs> so, well, coach, uh, I think that does it. Uh, you got anything else? Did you, you didn't give a recommendation. I just did, you dumb bastard. What'd you do? What'd you say? <sighs> her. <laughs> <laughs> Her, her, I was sending her a message on Facebook. I was like, saying, I was going to tell her Josh, how I saw her last night, and she did a great job. You but. were sending her a message on Facebook. Look, I'm over here trying to say that you're doing a great job, and Arlo's saying, no, you're a piece of shit. No, I just said, hey, <laughs> I said, hello. What I have so far, I said, hello, Coach from Mysterious Brews here. I watched you last night on Resolved. You did a phenomenal job. Keep up the good work. Oh, look at you being sweet. Yeah, and man. while you were typing that, I was saying – Go follow the Unsolved uh, Murder of Rebecca Gould Facebook page because they oh, yeah. have got the case file, and they are picking that thing apart. They are doing quite the job, I said. Quite the job. But anyway, so ladies and gentlemen, let's try this again. Coach, do you have anything else? <laughs> <laughs> you know I don't. Deuces.